Christ says, they haven't proclaimed the Jubilee once. And you know what? They never will. But I will do it. I have come to proclaim the year of God's favor. In other words, Jesus is saying, I have come to do for you what you would never do for each other. Welcome to Open the Bible Weekend with Pastor Colin Smith. And Colin, I think we need to explain what this jubilee or the year of the Lord's favor is. Oh, a whole set of laws in the Old Testament that were wonderfully compassionate laws of God. Every seven years, all debts to be canceled. Wouldn't that be marvelous? That'd be fantastic. Uh, Every seven years, all slaves to be set free. Every 50 years, all lost inheritances to be returned to the family of origin. Marvelously compassionate laws, but very costly, especially for the powerful and for the rich. And so they were never enacted, never done once in the entire span of the Old Testament until Jesus comes. And he says, now I'm going to do this. I am going to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. That was what he was referring to. I'll do for you what you would never have done for each other. And we see exactly how Christ did that in today's message. So I hope you'll join us as we continue Restore Hope. Here's Pastor Colin. Now, God gave these laws to Moses, remember, for his Old Testament people when they were in the land of Israel, and he's telling them what they're to do when they inherit the promised land coming into Canaan. And he says, when you come into the promised land, here is what you are to do. Every 50 years, sound the trumpet and proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, how often do you think this happened? Answer? Never! Nada! Not once! Not once! And so by the time of Isaiah, understand that God's people had now been in the land 700 years. So by the time of Isaiah, there should have been 14 different jubilees, and there hadn't been a single one. The trumpet had never sounded, the year of God's favor was never proclaimed, which is why the Old Testament prophets are so scathing on the way in which the rich were oppressing the poor. They simply systematically ignored the law of God when it was going to be costly to them. So now back to Isaiah 61. And as the poor are oppressed, and as the insensitivity towards their need continues generation after generation. God says, someone's going to come who's anointed to preach good news to the poor. In verse 2, this person is going to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. He's going to sound the trumpet. He's going to bring in the jubilee that has never once happened in all the history of Israel. Well, of course, that raises the question, who's he talking about? Well, now would you turn forward in your Bible to Luke's Gospel in chapter 4? This will be familiar to many of us, I think. Luke's Gospel and chapter 4. Because it's very significant that the Lord Jesus Christ chose these words from Isaiah to launch his own public ministry. Chapter 4 and verse 17. Try and picture the setting. The Lord Jesus Christ is in the synagogue. And verse 17, the scroll of the prophet Isaiah is handed to Jesus. Unrolling it, he finds, so he chose the reading, 
he finds the place where it is written, the Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to preach good news to the poor and to proclaim, verse 19, the year of God's favor. So, Jesus applies this to himself. The Spirit of the Lord is on me, he's saying, to proclaim the year of God's favor, to bring in the jubilee that has never once been known in all the history of God's people. Then, follow what it says, Jesus rolled up the scroll and he gave it back to the attendant and sat down and the eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him and he began, first public utterance of Jesus, he began by saying, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. It's marvelous. Christ says, they haven't proclaimed the jubilee once. And you know what? They never will. But I will do it. I have come to proclaim the year of God's favor. In other words, Jesus is saying, I have come to do for you what you would never do for each other, to cancel every debt that you owe to God, to set you free from the slavery that you know to the power of sin and Satan, and to give back to you the inheritance that Adam lost, that is the inheritance of joy and life in his presence forever and forever. That is the promise of the gospel. It is the most marvelous good news. But remember, when you think about the year of God's favor that is such a blessing to us that we celebrate in our worship every week, comes at incredible cost to him. If you write off a debt, you incur a loss in the amount of that debt yourself. And when Jesus comes to proclaim the jubilee and to write off all our debts towards God, it means that God is incurring that debt in himself. And this is why Jesus went to the cross. He bore the loss to cancel our debts, to set us free, and to restore our inheritance. God canceling debts, God freeing slaves, God restoring inheritances in Christ. That's the gospel. Now, I want you to notice, and this is marvelous when you see it, I want you to notice if you look between Luke chapter 4 and back to Isaiah chapter 61, I want you to notice where Jesus stopped in his reading on that Sabbath when he inaugurated his public ministry. Let's look at chapter 61 and verse 2. The anointed one will proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God. Turn over to Luke chapter 4, and you see where Jesus stopped to proclaim verse 19 the year of the Lord's favor, period. In other words, when Jesus was reading from the scroll, he stopped mid-sentence. He stopped halfway through what Isaiah was saying. Now, you say, why in all the world, when Jesus was choosing the reading, did he stop in the middle of a sentence and say, I come to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor? Why didn't he finish the sentence? Because he went on to say, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. 
And thank God that when Jesus came into the world, born as a baby, through his death and through his resurrection, he brought in the year of the Lord's favor. He did not at that time bring in the day of God's vengeance. I say thank God for that, because if Jesus had brought in the day of God's vengeance in his first coming into the world, none of us would be here today. The world as we know it would have ended 2,000 years ago in a blitz of God's judgment. So Jesus stops halfway through what Isaiah says, mid-sentence. I'm the compassionate Savior that's coming to bring this freedom from debt and release from slavery to sin and to restore inheritance. You say, well, what about the day of God's vengeance? Well, Jesus spoke about that too. John chapter 5 and verse 28, he said, a time is coming when those who are in their graves will hear the voice of God and those who've done good will rise to live and those who have done evil will rise to be condemned. Jesus said that time is coming. It has not come yet. So Isaiah sees this coming anointed one bringing both the year of God's favor and the day of God's vengeance, almost like looking at a mountain, and you think it's one mountain. Actually, it's two mountains, one behind the other, and we're living right in between times in the day of God's favor, not yet having reached the day of God's vengeance. That's the incredible privilege that is ours as Christian believers. In His first coming, He brings in the year, notice the emphasis there, the year of God's favor. In his second coming, he will bring in the day of God's vengeance. Ray Ortland puts it this way, Christ fulfills all the Old Testament prophecies, but he doesn't fulfill them all at the same time. You're listening to Open the Bible Weekend with Pastor Colin Smith. We have to pause right here, but we'll get back to the message in just a moment, so I hope you'll stay with us. If you joined us late, have to leave early, you've missed a broadcast in the series, or you just want to go back and listen again, you can do that at our website. Come to OpenTheBible.org. There you can stream the program or download an MP3 for free. You can also listen if you have the Open the Bible app. That's free. You're going to find it at your app store, and you can listen to both this weekend program as well as our daily radio broadcast. Find our daily devotional that you can both read and listen to and a lot more. Again, you can find that on the app, which is at the App Store, or online at OpenTheBible.org. Back to the message. Here's Pastor Colin. Christ fulfills all the Old Testament prophecies, but He doesn't fulfill them all at the same time. So that's why I want us to look in this last part uh, today at the second vision that is given to Isaiah, because hope is begun through the coming of the compassionate Savior into the world. But our world is very, very far from what God purposes the new heaven and the new earth to be, and therefore we need also chapter 63 that speaks of how our hope will be fulfilled in the second coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. So we've looked at hope that comes from a compassionate Savior. I want us to see now hope that will be fulfilled in the return of a conquering warrior. Chapter 63. Isaiah's seeing another vision now, and he says, verse 1, who is this? Who is this coming out of Edom? 
think, what in all the world is this? Well, one simple thing to understand, and then you'll get the picture. The Edomites were the ancient and constant enemies of the people of God. They were descended from Esau. And you may remember that back in the Old Testament, uh, in the book of Genesis, Esau was a godless man. He's described in that way in the book of Hebrews in chapter 12 and verse 16. Edom was descended from Esau who despised his birthright, despised the things of God. And so, as you go on in the story of the Bible, Edom comes to represent antagonism towards God, hatred towards God's people, all manifestations of evil and mankind in his rebellion against God. But now Isaiah says, who is this coming from Edom? From Bozrah. Now, Bozrah was the capital of Edom, with his garments stained crimson. So, get the picture now. Isaiah is seeing someone come out of this country of Edom. He's coming towards Jerusalem. And this figure that Isaiah sees, he looks absolutely magnificent. He is obviously a hero. He is a champion. He is robed, verse 1, in splendor, and he is striding forward in the greatness of his strength. Now, as Isaiah looks and sees this figure coming towards him out of Edom, it is immediately obvious that he has been involved in some dreadful kind of a fight. That's obvious because his clothes are spattered in blood. So, Isaiah asks, verse 1, why are your garments red? You look like someone who's been treading a wine press, you know, the, the red grapes and someone who was treading a wine press, imagine what their clothes would look like if they were treading out grapes. Uh, Isaiah says, this is what he looked like. His clothes are all spattered red. Now, this warrior who's coming out of Edom, what else do we know about him? He clearly won the fight that he was in because the blood on his clothes is not his own blood. It is the blood of his enemies. Verse 3, I trampled them in my anger and trod them down in my wrath. Their blood spattered my garments. So, you see the picture now that's emerging. Isaiah is seeing in this vision a champion, a warrior, who is coming, striding, victorious out of Edom, Having gone in there, the place of the enemies of God, he's gone in single-handed. He's on his own. He's gone in like a kind of David against Goliath. And you think, one man, however great he is, going into all the power of Edom, all the forces of darkness and evil of this world, he's never going to come out of there alive. But here he comes. And Isaiah sees that his clothes are spattered not with his own blood, but with the blood of his enemies. And Isaiah says, as you could imagine, he says, well, who is this? Who is this? Christians know who this is because John, the apostle, was given exactly the same vision as Isaiah in the book of Revelation. And if you turn to it with me, you'll see that in Revelation in chapter 19. Revelation and chapter 19, nearly at the end of the Bible. And here's what John the Apostle sees. 
as he is given a glimpse of Jesus Christ coming in glory. John 19, 11, I saw heaven, he says, standing open, and there before me was a white horse whose rider is called Faithful and True. Verse 13, the rider of this horse is dressed in a robe dipped in blood, and his name is the Word of God. Verse 15, he treads the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God Almighty, and on his robe and on his thigh he has a name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Isaiah saw, John saw Jesus Christ. Isaiah sees him first as the compassionate Savior, canceling debts, releasing slaves, restoring lost inheritances. That's chapter 61. Then in chapter 63, he sees the same Lord Jesus Christ as the conquering warrior, as the sovereign Lord. See, he's not one or the other. He's both. And that's where the hope of Christian people is found. In knowing Jesus Christ, your compassionate Savior, who is also your conquering warrior. Now, why did God give Isaiah this vision? Let, let's try and bring it nearer to us now. Well, look back to the chapter we just skipped over, chapter 62 of Isaiah. And you'll see there what's going on. God's people are discouraged. They've been longing for God's blessing to come on their nation, but they've been losing hope. Verse 6, faithful people have been asking for God's blessing, calling on the Lord, giving Him no rest, longing for Him to establish Jerusalem and to make her the praise of the earth. But it hasn't happened. And the enemies of God's people who are always supremely confident, have you noticed that? People who do not believe are so confident in their rejection of God. And the enemies of God's people are saying in verse 4, well, you who believe, you're deserted. There's no future for the church. You're desolate. I mean, you're down and out. I mean, really, the culture's moving away from you. You've no chance. You've no future. And watchmen, verse 6, are posted now on the walls of Jerusalem, and they're looking out, and they're longing, and they're waiting, and they're praying, and they're hoping, and they're asking God to do something to bless their country. And suddenly, someone comes out of Edom. Someone says, who's this? Suddenly, everyone has hope. Who is this? Someone has gone in there and dealt with the evil that plagues our lives and our world. 2,000 years after the coming of Jesus, we're exactly where the watchmen were on the walls of Jerusalem. We have acts of evil and violence and terrorism and war and hatred and crime that make us look at our world and say, how long, O Lord? And how do you keep going as a Christian believer when you've been praying, but honestly, you feel discouraged, you feel jaded, you feel defeated. You look at the world and just say, 
this is so far from heaven. See, hope comes when we grasp both of Isaiah's visions. The writer to the Hebrews puts it this way. He says, you know, when we're looking at the world, this is Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 9, when we're looking at the world, we do not see everything subject to Jesus. We see the evil, the atrocities of this world. We do not see everything subject to Jesus. But what we do see, and he's talking now about Christian believers, what we do see is this. We see Jesus crowned with glory and honor. See, that's what faith sees. That's what hope comes from. If I go into 2009 looking at this world, I will quickly become imploded in discouragement. But if I see Jesus crowned in glory and honor, if by faith I have grasped the vision that this Jesus is not simply the compassionate Savior who came in to release debts and set slaves free and to restore inheritances, but He is the conquering Lord who not only has hope begun for us, but one day will bring hope to fulfillment for us. When I see that, then I'm sustained in faith and in prayer. So, I want you to get this picture of Christ triumphant in your mind. Either Christ's blood is splattered on you, or one day your blood will be splattered on Him. Ultimately, every one of us knows Him either as gracious Savior or as terrible judge. So, I want to say to you in this last weekend of this year, Christ came to save you from the day of God's vengeance. He came to proclaim the year of God's favor, and you're living in it now. Stop fighting Him. Stop living for the things of this world. Don't go into another year without Jesus Christ as your Savior. Come to him today. Tell him that you need his grace and his mercy. Ask him to be your savior. And then surrender yourself wholly to him as your sovereign Lord and as your king. What a great reminder from Pastor Colin today. We can have hope because Jesus is a conquering warrior. Well, you're listening to Open the Bible Weekend. Our message is called Restore Hope, part of a larger series, Restore My Soul, where we're taking a look at nine heart cries for revival. And if you want to get this entire series on CD, ask about that when you call us at 1-877-OPEN-365. That's 1-877-673-6365. Or you'll find ordering information online. Our website is openthebible.org. Well, Open the Bible is a listener-supported program. We do depend on your generosity to keep Pastor Collins teaching on this station. And as you give a gift of any amount this month, we'd like to offer you a book by Alistair Begg. It's called The Christian Manifesto. And Colin, who is this book for? Well, it's really for anyone who is concerned about the deepening cultural divisions and hostilities that seem to be engulfing us these days. And I would think that that would include any thoughtful Christian. It is a marvelous book 
that is just full of the kind of grace and the kind of wisdom that we need. You know, it seems like Christians are often trying to get a sense of, you know, whose side are we on? Which side are we on? And the the answer to that question is we're on the side of Jesus. And Alistair Begg has very wonderfully drawn out from Luke's account of the great sermon of Jesus the distinctive call of the Lord Jesus Christ, the manifesto that's given to us as his followers, which is unlike anything else that will ever be found anywhere in the world. I found it refreshing, stimulating. I found it full of hope and full of wisdom, full of encouragement. And I'm very grateful that we have the opportunity of making this book available this month. Well, we would love to send you a copy of this book, The Christian Manifesto, written by Alistair Begg, as our way of saying thank you for your financial support. You can give online at OpenTheBible.org or call us at 1-877-OPEN-365. That's OpenTheBible.org or 1-877-673-6365. For Pastor Colin Smith, I'm Steve Hiller. Thanks for listening, and I hope you'll join us next time. Open the Bible Weekend is a listener-supported production of Open the Bible. Whatever stage you're at in the Christian life, prayer is something you can learn. Find out how next time on Open the Bible Weekend.